Well, this morning, um, we are in the epistle to the Galatians, and we're continuing in our series on the calling and the conflict of Christ's kingdom. And AV team, if I could have my first slide, that would be a help. Thank you. And so as we go to the Apostle Paul's um, epistle to the churches in Galatia, which is one of his earliest letters, the Apostle Paul writes in Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live how? By going to Sunday school? By serving? No, he says, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And it's with these words the Apostle Paul proclaims and essentially he summarizes a believer's new life as a child of God and as a citizen of heaven. And it is a life that has been united, made one with the life of Christ. Not by us, not by something that we have done, not by something we have preached or sung, but by God as a gift from Him. And it's through this union, the Apostle Paul points out, a believer's old life of sin, a believer's old life of self-righteousness, a believer's old life of the flesh, the fallen human nature apart from God. This old life has been crucified with Christ. The rule of flesh in our lives has been destroyed. Do we still have sinful influences? Yes. Is there still a battle? Yes. Are we perfect? No. But the rule, the domination of living for me has been destroyed. It is no longer I who live. Christ, not self, not me, not myself, not I. Christ is now the living and indwelling and present Lord and King of my life. And the life that we now live in this fallen world is a new life that is lived not by the flesh, but it's lived by faith. A conviction, a confidence, a trust, a commitment given by God. Not in me, not in my gifts, not in my abilities, not in my understanding, not in my intellectual putting everything together or knowing everything, not in my works. It's a life lived by faith in the Son of God. The only one who has loved me as the Father loves me. And the only one who has given his life for me. This, brothers and sisters, is our calling. This is the calling of the kingdom. This is the calling of every true child of God and every citizen 
of heaven. This is what sets a child of God apart. Our calling. That we would live this new life that God has given us. Forgiven. Redeemed. Renewed. Set free from the domination of sin and the flesh. Set free from me. That we would live this new life in Christ and with Christ. Not by the flesh, but one way and one way alone. By faith in Christ. By faith in Christ. And the proof, as we've talked about in past weeks is a faithfulness that's expressed in obedience to Christ's commands. Now, these past weeks, what we've been walking through, and I'm trying to get us all ready for summer, right? What we've been walking through is what is our calling in Christ? How do we take what we've learned in the Sermon on the Mount, and how do we apply it? How do we live it out? What does God want us to do with this Amazing gift of a new life in Christ that he has given us. And just to walk you through what we've mentioned is this calling that we've been given is to repent and follow Christ as our Lord and King. This calling is to abide in Christ, to be faithful and fruitful in Christ. This calling is to go and bear witness by our lives as people see us in our places of work, our vacation our soccer tournaments, wherever we end up and go. That in every aspect, as people interact with us and they look at our lives, they see a life that bears witness to the truth and reality that Christ is not dead. He is alive. He is the crucified and risen Lord. A life that might not be perfect, but is being transformed and becoming more Christ-like every day. And as people see that, they realize there is something completely different that we do not see in this world. Christ is the crucified and risen Lord, and He is coming back. But if we were to take all of those things and summarize them in one calling... This diamond with many facets. It is the calling to walk and to live. Present, ongoing. Every minute, every moment, 24-7. Not by faith in ourselves or anything or anyone. A pastor or a church. Our calling is to walk and live by faith in Christ alone. And that's what we sang this morning. I didn't go and prompt Danny, say, get this song, get this song. Those are the songs that we sang this morning. This is the calling of a Christian throughout eternity. This is not something new. So this morning, I would like us to consider what does it mean to walk and live by faith in Christ? And as we come to the Apostle Paul's epistle to the Galatians, the Apostle Paul explains that living by faith in Christ involves walking by His Spirit, not walking by our flesh. And that's our first point for this morning. Living by faith involves walking by Christ's Spirit and not our flesh. Now, as you walk through Scripture, that term flesh, 
can refer to our human bodies. Or it can refer to our fallen human nature apart from God. And in context, more often than not, the Apostle Paul in Galatians, though he talks about the life I live in the flesh, he's talking about the life I'm living here on earth, our physical existence. But as we come through Galatians chapter 5, which we're going to read this morning, his focus when he talks about flesh is our fallen human nature, what remains of the total depravity that Christ saved us from. Now, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. And because I love you and we're getting ready for summer and I'm going to be away for a little bit in a few weeks, I'm going to give it to you all. All of Galatians 5. Galatians 5.1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look. I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Now this is me, not the word of God. Where have we heard that before? Jesus counseled to the disciples about the Pharisees, of whom Paul used to be a Pharisee. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say... Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This indeed is the word of our Lord. Well, with this chapter, Galatians 5 the Apostle Paul is beginning to bring to a conclusion this God-breathed letter to the churches in Galatia, Asia Minor. And he does so with three key commands in this passage. Verse 1, stand firm therefore, same language as abiding. Resist, don't move, abide in Christ and abide in the gospel. Stand firm therefore, second command, do not submit. Again, to a yoke of slavery. And contextually, he's talking about the slavery of the curse of the law, the slavery of our sinful flesh, the slavery of Satan himself. And then, in verse 16, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the third person of the Trinity. Non-optional commands. A must, present and ongoing, 24-7. To not do this is to walk away from Christ, to walk away from the gospel, to grieve the Lord and the Spirit, and to rebel against God. To do these by faith and by the power of the Spirit is to celebrate and walk with and honor the Lordship of Christ in our lives. Now why is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ through the Apostle Paul giving these commands first to the churches in Galatia, but also to us? Well, in Galatians 1, the Lord shows us that many of the believers who were predominantly Gentile in these churches, not Jewish, were not standing firm. They had begun to depart from Christ and the gospel. And the sad thing is they didn't even know it. They were blind, as is typically the case. After coming to faith in Christ, they had begun to fall for a false and counterfeit gospel. Now, by definition, a counterfeit is what? It's an imitation of something valuable that intends to deceive and defraud. It's the imitation of something valuable that intends to deceive and defraud. And counterfeits, brothers and sisters, always appeal to the flesh. That's how they get sold. That's how they get used. That's how they con and that's how they bring in. And counterfeits always bear some resemblance to what is true. That's the deceit. That's how they lure in. And the two biggies, and Paul addresses them here, but the two biggies throughout the church history. One of them is free grace. Christ has died for me. My sins are forgiven. I can do whatever I want. 
It's forgiven, past, present, and future. I'm right with God. And the Apostle Paul mentions this in chapter 5. He says, don't use your freedom. Freedom is not you get to do whatever you want. The freedom he's talking about is freedom from the bondage of sin. And you are free now to worship and walk with Christ before you couldn't. Because you were blind and you were ensnared and you just lived for the addictions of your flesh. Me, 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 me. I don't have time on Sunday. I don't have time to be with, I don't have time for all of, to read my Bible. I've got better things to do, right? You're set free from that. You come in, you're forgiven, you're washed, you're cleaned. Well, one of the big heresies is Christ has died for us. You can do whatever you want. It doesn't matter. You can sleep with your boyfriend and girlfriend. You can do drugs, whatever. Just ask the Lord for forgiveness. You're set free. You can come and do whatever you want. You're forgiven. That's the Holy Spirit's job to clean you up. You just go on being you. It's one of them. Paul addresses it. But the big one that he's addressing here, and quite frankly, it's the one that many of us fall for, especially in the conservative evangelical world. It's the lie that in addition to faith in Christ, we need something more to be a complete and full and mature child of God. Christ plus something else. Christ plus a Bible study. Christ plus Christian education, homeschooling. Christ plus seminary. Christ plus leading a Bible study. Christ plus opening up your home. And the implication is that Christ is not sufficient or enough for my worship. Christ is not sufficient enough for my relationships. Christ is not sufficient enough for my family and the education of my children. Christ is not enough for my life. I need something more. Now, where did this first begin? It began in the garden with Adam and Eve. You have this entire garden. God's given it to you all. There's only this one area that's restricted. You need more. God's mean. He hasn't given you enough. You need God and his creation and his word, plus all of these other things. And the appeal of this counterfeit gospel is the appeal to our flesh, our fallen human nature, our selfish ambition. That God is not enough and the flesh is never satisfied because our satisfaction was to be found in Christ, with God. And many are the afflictions and sorrows of those who go after other gods. And this is why Paul eventually later says, listen, if you keep on going down this path, it seems respectable in the beginning. It seems good in the beginning. Your life is all about missions. It seems good in the beginning, but in the end, because it is from our fallen human nature, it's a counterfeit. It is not Christ. By definition, it is a false religion. You will end up biting and devouring and destroying one another. And brothers and sisters, that's what happens with so many Christian movements. Huge, big, successful. And then in six or ten years, people are just tearing one another apart. 
well, how much of that was really from Christ or was it a false gospel? We need Christ plus the mega whatever. And for the Galatians, more, Christ plus more, that more was circumcision. Where circumcision was an external sign or work of the old covenant that visibly validated, allegedly, a righteousness and a rightness with God. And this had come from the influence of the Pharisees. The belief that, okay, you have Christ now, you made the first step, that's the first step. You believed in Jesus, you're saved. Now you need to do all of these other things. You believed in Jesus, now you've got to be involved in campus ministry. You believed in Jesus, now you've got to be part of this program. You believed in Jesus, boom, 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 boom. Well, for them, it was... The old covenant law, you needed to become Jewish. And the sign that you were a full-fledged member, that you were legit, the external sign was circumcision. That was your gateway. That is the sign that you are a Jew. You are a child of God. Now this false gospel of Jesus plus circumcision and works of the law, it seems strange to us. But how often do we Brothers and sisters, look for something more than Christ to fulfill us and to validate us. Our jobs, our careers, our education, our role in ministry or the church. You're not a real Christian and you're not legit unless you've gone to seminary. How often do we look for these things in our lives or the lives of others? Looking for validation or proof of holiness or righteousness. Now brothers and sisters, these things can be good things. You should educate your children in the gospel. But the Christian worldview, brothers and sisters, is not a substitute for Christ. The Christian worldview, brothers and sisters, never saved anyone. A Bible study did not save you. A pastor did not save you. A church program did not save you. Christ saved you if you are a child of God. And brothers and sisters, when those things, which may be good things, become the standard we look to or live by. The things that give us reassurance that we're holy and good or this person is holy and good. Instead of Christ, they have become what? False gods. Christ substitutes. And we are no longer living by faith in Christ. We're living by faith in who? Us. Ourselves. And this, brothers and sisters, gratifies our fallen human nature. And this, the Apostle Paul explains, is submitting again to a yoke of slavery, of being in bondage to our sin and our sinful nature. There's always two sides. There's the guys who are going out and partying and doing whatever they want. I can do whatever I want. And that typically isn't what we see in the church doors, but the same side of the coin is, I do this, I do this, I do this. I'm a holy person. They're a holy person. They must be holy because he went to seminary, right? Well, in Galatians 1 through 4, the Apostle Paul reminds 
the Galatian believers. It's not circumcision. It's not works of the law. It's not all of these things that has set them free from the curse of the law or has made them a child or citizen of heaven. It was and is the good news of God's forgiveness. It is and was the good news of God's justification. It is the good news of God's salvation of sinners, not through circumcision or baptism or Bible studies, but through the death and resurrection of God's Son, Jesus Christ. And he reminds them the way in which the Galatians receive this forgiveness, the way in which they receive salvation, the way in which they became children of God, entirely as a gift of God's grace. They received it entirely through faith, confidence, trust, conviction brought by God, not in themselves or any religious act, but in Christ and Christ alone. This is what had justified them, made them right with God. This is what had saved them. Why? Because Christ is enough. Christ is sufficient. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of God's righteousness. Nothing more is needed. And with Christ, here's the good news. God the Father is completely and perfectly satisfied and pleased. Are we? Are we satisfied? Are we pleased? And are we content? The good news of Jesus Christ is that with Christ, by faith in Him alone, we have everything we need to please God. Past, present, and future. And according to God's Word, the proof of this, God's sign, His seal, His affirmation of this new life that is pleasing to Him. It's not circumcision, it's not seminary. It is the gift of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. I got it right this morning. It's the presence of Christ's Spirit and His Word in us. This is God's stamp of approval. That we belong to Him. That we are His children. That we're united by Christ by faith. This is what enables us to look like Jesus, smell like Jesus, walk like Jesus, grow into and become day by day more like Jesus. The stamp is Christ's spirit and word supernaturally dwelling in us as a gift from God. And the Apostle Paul points this out in Galatians 3.23. He says, for in Christ Jesus... Galatians 3.23, For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. Through what? Through what? Because you got a baptism certificate? Through faith. And then in chapter 4, verse 6, he says, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, what? Abba, Father. 
Now, while Jesus walked on earth, the disciples lived by faith how? By repentance and following Jesus. They submitted to his shepherding and his word. What he asked them to do, they did. When he corrected them, they allowed themselves to be corrected. And they walked with him. And whatever he asked, they might have said, Jesus, how are we going to do this? But ultimately, they did it. And what did they lack, brothers and sisters? They left their fishing businesses. They left their tax collecting concessions. What did they lack for? Physically and spiritually. Nothing. Everything they needed, they had. And where did Jesus ultimately bring them? He brought them to the cross. And then he brought them to the resurrection. But in John 14 through 16, the night before Jesus is crucified, Jesus explains that there is a new time coming. The new covenant is going to be fulfilled that God has promised in his blood. And the disciples are about to receive something better than the Messiah living with them and walking with them. And what is it? It's Christ in them. It's Christ dwelling with them by the presence of his spirit and his word in them. And living by faith in Christ now involves repentance, following, abiding in Christ. How? By submitting the entirety of our lives now to the spirit and the word, the word of Christ, the gospel, that is now in us. That we received how? Not through works and not through circumcision or baptism or attending a church service. By hearing Christ through faith. This, brothers and sisters, is a believer's calling. To walk by the Spirit. And by definition, this walking by the Spirit means opposing and doing battle with the flesh. And this brings us to our second point this morning. The spirit opposes the flesh, as do all who walk by the spirit or who walk by faith. Now, what does Christ mean when he commands us through the Apostle Paul, verse 16, to walk by the spirit? What does he mean by walking by the spirit? Well, according to the charismatic movement, walking by the Spirit means that you speak in tongues, that you perform miracles, that you do signs and wonders, that you exhibit dynamic and powerful and captivating leadership, that you gather a crowd. And according to the prosperity gospel movement, walking in the Spirit means that you name and claim whatever material blessing is here and demonstrate that you are a child of God by the magnitude of the material blessing, that the kingdom is here and now, and you're a child of the king. And according to the higher life movement, walking by the Spirit involves letting go and letting God, passively just surrendering, and having a second blessing or multiple blessings of the Holy Spirit at different points in your lives, and just allowing it to consume you so that you can have a victorious Christian life. And what's interesting, with whatever version 
of the spirit movement you want to attach yourself to, one of the things that comes, one of the common denominators, is gathering a big crowd. Being involved in a big movement of men. There's nothing that validates that something real is going on like a million man march. Strength in numbers. Let's you know where that's coming from. It's interesting to see how Jesus avoided the crowds during his ministry. But as we come to God's word, with the Apostle Paul and throughout Scripture, the Old Testament and the New Testament, walk is a reference to the direction of our lives. Walk is a reference to the character and conduct of our lives. It's a summation of every aspect of our lives. Where is it going? Where is it heading? Who is leading it? And walk, by definition, is active and intentional, and it is a choice. It is not passive. And in verse 16 through 18, the Apostle Paul connects walking by the Spirit with, verse 16, not gratifying the desires of the flesh. In other words, if you are gratifying the desires of the flesh, and we live in a world that is all about gratifying the desires of the flesh, that's how we make money. You watch this program, you watch this sports team, you click on this. All of it is meant, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the world, the pride of life, okay, all of it is pressing those things and we pay for it so that we come back again and again and again and again. And that includes our education, our careers, all of those things. It's all pressing and validating who? Jesus, by and large, it's about validating us, right? Fulfilling our dreams, fulfilling our goals. Well, the Apostle Paul connects walking by the Spirit with not gratifying the desires of the flesh. In fact, he will command you, say, make no provision for the flesh. As long as you are feeding in that pigsty... You are not walking in the Spirit. The two are mutually exclusive. You want to be unhealthy? Fill yourself with trash. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, no. God has given you everything you need for a vibrant, loving life in Christ. connects walking by the Spirit with not gratifying the desires of the flesh. And then in verse 18, he connects walking by the Spirit with being led by the Spirit. The implication, the Spirit is the Lord and King, bringing Christ's Lordship into your life, and He is actively guiding you with the Gospel and with the Word of Christ. Walking by faith, walking in the Spirit, is following His lead. It's submission to the Spirit. Ephesians, Colossians, all the way through. Submit to one another in the church. This idea of submission is coming under not your authority, I'm the boss here. It's coming under the Spirit's authority. And in the local church, that includes submitting to one another. In our marriages, submitting to one another. I'm not vying for selfish ambition to run the show here. I'm not disappointed when I don't get what I want. This is Christ's kingdom. 
eager to pursue unity with gentleness and humility. That's following the leadership of the Spirit. And in verse 25, the Apostle Paul sums it up. He says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. The idea, the Spirit, the breath, the, the Spirit, the wind of God, metaphorically speaking, moving and bringing us somewhere in a direction, and we're to keep going. And we're able to do so because Christ is our king and he set us free from the bondage of slavery and our selfishness. And according to the Apostle Paul, the Spirit, God's gift in Christ to all believers, no second class citizens, no high, no special priesthood, no superstars in the pulpit. According to the Apostle Paul, the Spirit, God's gift in Christ to all believers How does he work? What does he do? Brothers and sisters, he leads us always to the life and love of Christ. That is the direction. That is where he's moving. And we are to actively, intentionally submit and follow his leadership, his desires, his work in our lives even as the disciples submitted and followed Christ's lordship and Christ's desires while Christ was still here on earth. And so this raises the question, what are you following? What is it that moves you? What's the direction of your life? What is the Spirit's desire and work in your life? Well, according to the Apostle Paul, Romans In Galatians 5, the Holy Spirit's desire and work in our lives, very, very specifically, big picture, what is it? It's to grow us in the life and love of Christ. But very specifically, the the Apostle Paul shows us here the Holy Spirit's desire and work in our lives is to oppose and to destroy all remnants of our flesh our fallen human nature. Yes, the Holy Spirit has come in to destroy everything that is evil and sinful in your life and mine. The plan is he will do it over time progressively so that when we die or when we see Christ face to face, we will be like him. It happens progressively. But he says in verse 17b, the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. Verse 24, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Brothers and sisters, God's desire for your life, Christ's desire for your life, the Holy Spirit's desire for your life is that your sin and your sinfulness that remains, though it is forgiven, though Christ has paid for it, though you were justified before the Lord, yet still, that it would be completely annihilated. And then in verse 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit that the Apostle Paul shows us, also reveals that the Spirit's leadership, his desire, his work, is also about maturing and making us like Christ. All those attributes, all those fruits, Christ's love, Christ's joy, Christ's peace, Christ's gentleness, his kindness, His faithfulness. And brothers and sisters, we see this picture of what sanctification is in the believer's life. 
It's not one or the other. It's not just building you up like Christ, but it's also not just destroying or nitpicking or going after every sin. It's both. This is under new management. We're going to tear down this building and we're going to rebuild it up. We're going to take out the rotting beams filled with termites and we're going to put a new structure up so that this is a new house where there's a new Lord and a new king dwelling. And God rebuilds you by the power of his spirit and his good news from the ground up. That's God's desire for you. That's why Christ came and died. So all of this could happen. Through his blood you are purchased. You now belong to him. And the renovations begin. And brothers and sisters, it is indeed good news. But how often, brothers and sisters, do we want the one? Give me the love, joy, peace, and self-control, but don't touch my social media. Don't touch my friends. Don't touch my Golden State Warriors. Don't touch whatever. You just go down the list. Right? From Genesis onwards, this has always been the desire and work of God's Spirit. From creation onwards, as the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit possesses all the attributes of God in perfect love, unity with God the Father and God the Son. And yet the Holy Spirit's distinct role is to establish God's holy presence, and his holy rule in God's creation. How? By fulfilling and completing God's word. And in children of God, the Holy Spirit establishes God's rule and his reign in our lives by fulfilling and completing God's word in us. According to God's word, God the Father ordains His will and His word. God the Son reveals God's will and His word. Where do we see it most visibly? At the cross and the resurrection. And God the Holy Spirit fulfills and completes God's word. And in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit carries this out. He establishes God's holy presence and rule, specifically in the Old Covenant leadership. The prophets, priests, and kings who were anointed by God. The leadership of the community. But as we come to the new covenant, God's promise fulfilled. His kingdom unfolding. That in each and every child of God, not just the prophets, priests, and kings, in each and every child of God, the Spirit of God will dwell. So that they will all be priests. So that they will all be princes and princesses. So that they will all reign together with their older sibling, with the King, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is in Ezekiel. So we see from the Old Testament to the New Testament, God's desire and will of love for his children. Is that they would be united with him in the life and the love of Christ. This is God's desire. So we see in Ephesians 1, 9 and 10, the mystery of his will is to unite all things in him. And then when we go to John 15, 26, Jesus explains the night before he dies, he says, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about who? Me. 
the helper, his role in your life. Now, men, those of you who went to Shepherd's Conference this year, when you left and you left your children, what did you say to them? Your mom's going to be here, so I just want you to let go and let mom. Just stay out of her way. Let her cook, let her labor, let her do all of those things, let her take you to school, just get out of the way. Just let go and let mom. Oh guys, when I'm gone, I want you to name it and claim it. Whatever you need, just go to mom and say, I want more screen time, right? I want pizza tonight, I want ice cream, just name it and claim it. Oh, guys, listen, if you get stuck, just go to your mom for a second blessing and a, a second moment so that you can conquer. And... No, you say, look, while I'm gone, mom represents both of us. I love you, she loves you. Her love is my love. And I want you to stick close to her. I want you to listen to her. I want you to honor her. I want you to help her. Where she goes, I want you to go. And what she asks you to do, I want you to keep in step with mom. What's the point? What's the purpose? Their life, their love, their well-being. So when dad comes back, we are united as a family. We're not 50 miles apart. The kids in the room, mom over here, whatever. Right? Man, if we all did these crazy false gospels in the rest of our life, and we do, where would we be, right? Well, the reason the Spirit opposes our flesh, our fallen sinful nature, is His desire and His work is to fulfill God's Word in us, which is our unity with God and Christ, living in His love, living in the love of Christ. And Jesus points this out in John 6, 63. He says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and their life. And this brings us to our final point for this morning. The Spirit gives life and the flesh brings death. I know you know that theoretically, okay? But we are called to live this out. And we're called to participate in this. By faith. In Galatians 5.17, the Apostle Paul explains, the desires of the flesh are against, they're opposed to the Spirit. They are mutually exclusive. And what are the desires of the flesh? Well, from Genesis 3 onwards, the desires of the flesh are always to please and exalt ourselves rather than God. To please and exalt ourselves. I'll be number one. To be free of God. I get to do what I want. This is also known as idolatrous and prideful selfish ambition. And it's why false gospels appeal to us so much. It's because the flesh believes that life in Christ and unity with God is not enough. I need something more. And this is why the flesh resists and opposes and grieves the Holy Spirit who is laboring to bring us and to unite our lives with Christ. And so in verse 19 through 21, the apostle spells out the works, the patterns, the direction of the flesh, where the flesh takes us. And he explains that this is obvious as you read these things. You know this is not coming from God. This is coming from our 
fallen human nature. And you can divide these, this list into three groups. The first group, defiling self-gratification. Defiling self-gratification. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. Second group, defiling self-worship. Defiling self-worship. Idolatry and sorcery. And the word for sorcery is pharmakia, from which we get the word pharmacy. Because the sorcerers of the day would use mind-altering drugs or medicines or different things in order to perform whatever acts they did. And we see that self-worship, idolatry, at the end of the day, whatever we're worshiping, our career, our families, our education, whatever it is, it's all about me. How do I get power? How do I get control? What do I need to do to get a better life for me? Third group, defiling self-assertion in our relationships, our horizontal relationships. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. All the things that flow out of me trying to get what I want at whatever cost and I'll trample whoever's there. And brothers and sisters, that can be in the church and ministry and sadly it is. And then he says things like these, which means this is not an exhaustive list. The desire and the direction is the same. It's contrary to the Spirit. It separates us from God. It separates us from one another to please and exalt ourselves and our marriages, our work, our relationships. And the result, brothers and sisters, is death in everything. And maybe it's a slow death and maybe it happens over years. But nonetheless, it is death and defiling on every front and the Apostle Paul in the Old Testament points out to do these things and to indulge in these things is to grieve the Holy Spirit. But the heart of the grief, when you look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, what is it that grieves Christ in the New Testament? What is it that grieves the Lord in the Old Testament? The heart of it, it's unbelief. It's not believing that our God will keep his promises, that he loves us, and that he's good enough. I need this career. I need this thing. I need this pulpit in order to be fulfilled. Well, is it any surprise? God takes things away. But worse still is if he leaves us to it and allows us to die slowly. What's the good news? Well, Jesus comes and he explains to them, as does the Apostle Paul. He says, the good news is the Spirit is not taking you to this place. He points out with the fruit of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. What is this? This is the Spirit fulfilling the law in us. This is the Spirit bringing us to the place where we are like Christ. This is what God promises to do to finish the good work that's begun in us. Because of us? No, but because of Christ. And so we see that what obedience is, all obedience is, is we're walking with the Spirit. We're just going where He directs us. We're listening and we're following. Christ's likeness, that is the proof of life and unity with God in Christ. And brothers and sisters, this is what sets us free from sin. And this is what sets us free from our sinful nature. And this is what sets us free from the curse of the law. But it doesn't happen without a fight. 
Because the flesh is never satisfied. And as you begin to walk down this path, the flesh comes and wants a piece of you to retain. But the Apostle Paul warns us in verse 21. He says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things, practice ongoing those works of the flesh, will not inherit the kingdom of God. He also warns us that if we sow by the flesh, we're going to reap death. But here's the good news. If we sow by the Spirit and walk by the Spirit and live by the Spirit, what awaits us is eternal life, life from above. And it's the fulfillment, brothers and sisters, of God's promises as we keep in step with the Spirit. Ezekiel 36, 26. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And give you a heart of flesh. He means soft here, okay? And I will put my spirit within you. And cause you to walk in my statutes. And be careful to obey my rules. Brothers and sisters, if we live by the spirit. Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Well, how do we do this? Let me give you some specifics. Can I have my next slide? This is our slide from last week. This is John 15. When you look at Jesus the night before he dies, you go all the way from John 12 and 13 all the way to 17. But 14, 15, 16, Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit. The ministry of the Spirit. And right in the middle of his talk with them about the coming Spirit, how he's going to leave them with the Helper, is John 15, abiding in him. This is all about walking in the Spirit. And how and where does it begin, brothers and sisters? You can't walk in the Spirit if you don't have the Holy Spirit. And the Apostle Paul says... Galatians 3.2, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? It begins with repentance and faith in Christ that is demonstrated by leaving your sin and your old life behind and following Christ and following the gospel. If you haven't done that, you don't have the Holy Spirit. And how many people do we have in churches who are raised in church and they think they know what it's all about and they're trying to cover up by serving or laboring or hosting or doing 20 zillion different things. Good things. But brothers and sisters, without the Spirit, it's a false gospel and it's a deceit. So it begins, brothers and sisters, by listening and hearing to Christ and trusting in Him. It continues, brothers and sisters, with Christ being the loudest voice in the room. And then are we in prayer? Do we come to Him for the guidance and wisdom and help we need? Or do we fix things ourselves? And what's interesting is you go through John 15, you see what is it and where does obedience come? It's not at the beginning. It's not at the end. Brothers and sisters, obedience is a road that is to bring us to God. Our end is not perfect obedience. Our end is Christ. Our beginning is not perfect obedience. It's Christ. Christ in the beginning, Christ in the end. And we see here that obedience is an expression that comes out of love for the Lord to say, you know what you're doing. You're leading my life. I'm going to walk with you. 
And it's that obedience in Christ that's expressed in love and good works and witness and sharing and in celebrating God's grace in us with gratitude. I was watching a sports documentary. It's all legalism. How do we win? But I found it interesting that this champion made a statement. He said, you know, the big events, the main events, that's just the end. In actual fact, months before, it's made up of all sorts of small battles. And if I can win those small battles, the big battle will sort itself out. And so often in the Christian faith, we're looking... When the big battle comes, I want to get ready and we get creamed. And we don't realize every minute and every moment how we interact with our wives, how we love our children, how we serve, how we interact with coworkers who are unbelievers. That each one is meant to follow the Spirit and a battle to be won where we're not gratifying the flesh. How? By walking in the Spirit. God's provision to destroy the flesh in our lives is simply by following the Spirit, by being obedient to His Word, by listening to Christ. And brothers and sisters, it's where we are and what we do when nobody watches. I'm thinking of the summer. Are our lives, is our priority to be filled with Christ? In Pilgrim's Progress, Pilgrim has a rough time. So worldly wise man comes to him. And he says, oh my goodness, you're having a hard time. And where are you going? I'm going to the narrow, the wicked gate and the place of the cross. Oh my goodness, that's going to be so hard and so difficult. I've got a better option for you. There's a village over here. So much better. And there's a person at the village. There's legality and morality. And if you go there, there's a nice home. People are going to accept you. It's a reasonable rent. You can call for your family. They'll come and you can live there. And your life is going to be easier. And as Christian goes there, he begins to see that at legality and morality, the flames of hell are burning and destruction is coming. And it's later explained to him, look, this whole thing is a con. That for an easier life and through respectability, you can be a respectable person. But what it is, it's a game so that you can bypass going to the cross. And brothers and sisters, the good news of the gospel is the cross is where we need to be. Because with Christ, we have everything we need to be pleasing and satisfying to our Heavenly Father. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, you are enough. That is the good news. Everything we need, whether we are in a town in Colombia or in Silicon Valley, Whether we're in the third world or the first world, you are sufficient. You are everything we need. This summer, Lord Jesus, would we walk by the Spirit? Would we keep in step with Him? And would we do so, Lord Jesus, by enjoying you and celebrating you and abiding with you? In your name we pray, amen.